Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. All right, Matthew chapter number 5. I hope everyone's doing well tonight. Everyone have a good day today? Just a few of you had a good day? How about everybody else? Get this up here. All right. Matthew chapter number five. We're continuing our series in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter five, and we're going to look at verse number four this evening. Matthew five, verse four. Jesus calls his disciples. There's a multitude of people, and Jesus is going to teach his disciples uh, something here about how to be blessed. Now, what he's teaching his disciples is not how to be saved. This is not a works salvation. This isn't if you do these things, you get to go to heaven. Uh, salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, not anything that you and I can do. It was all settled at the cross. And, um, and so we can't earn our way to heaven. We can't work our way to heaven. Our behavior is not what gets us to heaven or faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus takes his disciples away. He begins to teach them something. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed could be another word for blessed is happy. So happy is the poor in spirit. We looked at that. Happy is the, the humble, um, for they shall inherit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We looked at that verse uh, a few weeks back when we were studying these before our break. And tonight we come to blessed or happy are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Our first thought of, of mourning may be the, the grief of someone that has lost a loved one. When we think of that word mourn, we think of grieving someone that we, we've lost. A loved one has passed away. And Jesus, he does comfort. He comforts those that are hurting from a loss of a loved one. But this word here, this word mourn, is not what the Lord is speaking about as he is instructing his disciples. This is not blessed are they that mourn because someone they love has passed away. This, um, re remember this plan, what he sets out, the, the attitudes, this is a plan put together on purpose and specifically in this order. Now, Jesus isn't just saying idle words, just putting things out there. I don't believe there's probably a single word that Jesus spoke that would be considered an idle word. Everything he says, he says on purpose. Everything he says, he says on purpose to the people he's talking to. There's not a word or a conversation that he says, boy, I probably shouldn't have had that conversation with that person. Everything he says is on purpose. When he lays out uh, Matthew chapter number five, we call them the Beatitudes. They're specifically in order. And so we, we've talked about that. We, we seek peace. The Bible, in the last part of the Beatitudes, the Bible talks about blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. We seek peace. We, we seek a pure heart, but it only comes through one that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. You can seek peace all day long, but unless you're finding it through our Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to seek, you're not going to find peace. The world right now, we see the, the, um, the stresses and the problems and the pressures in our world today, and the world says they want peace. 
but they're looking for peace outside of Christ. They're never going to find peace. Peace can only be found through Jesus Christ. We find here as well, whether it's in our own life, a pure heart, we want to seek peace in our marriage, we want to seek peace in our life, we'll never seek that, we'll never find that until we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And, and so we find that tucked away right in the middle of this, these beatitudes here. In this, this hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it only comes through humility or poor in spirit. And this second topic that we want to talk about this evening, and it's mourning. Jesus is speaking of spiritual qualities that we should actively pursue. Christians should actively be pursuing humility or poor in spirit, should actively be uh, uh, pursuing uh, mourning, should actively be pursuing a meek spirit. This is the condition of a person's heart. And when this is the condition of our heart, we will be laden with blessings. And that's what Jesus is after. He wants us to see that blessings come. They, they, they come to those that follow this plan that Jesus lays out here. All right, so he's speaking in verse number four, and I want to dive into this and really study this through here this evening. He's speaking here in verse number four about spiritual mourning, spiritual mourning. This study that I begin to find myself in, I told you several weeks ago, I found and began to study some, just some writings of some, some Puritan authors, some Puritan writers, years and years and years and years ago. And they, they dig in and they find truths, and they're not uh, truths that are just given to them. They're, I know there's no private interpretation of scriptures, but in this passage of scriptures, I begin to study this they begin to dig so deep into this passage of Scripture at a level that I believe it'll be, it'll be uh, beneficial for us. And they come to this passage of Scripture. In the study that I've been doing on this word mourning, it's a spiritual mourning. And that means this, a, a genuine sorrow about sin against God. A genuine sorrow about sins against God. And the more we have of this kind of mourning in our life, the more blessed or happy we're going to be. The, the, more, the more spiritual mourning there is, the more blessed we're going to be. I want you to stay with me and follow along with this, please. Because spiritual mourning is something I believe Christianity really needs to rediscover today. This topic of spiritual mourning. Spiritual mourning, I believe, is the key to tackling what we sometimes call habitual sin or, or a sin that a person may fall into repeatedly over and over and over, or they maybe get victory and then fall back into it. So over long periods of time, they fall into this, to, this habitual sin. And that is not the life that God desires and has planned for his children. If, if a particular sin might become habitual for you or for me or for us or we describe ourselves as addictive to a certain behavior, we, there's some lessons here in the Beatitudes that we need to look at in this, this topic of spiritual mourning is something that we really need to discover this evening because until this happens, there will not be a hungering and thirsting 
after righteousness. God's purpose for your life, God's purpose for my life is not for us to remain stuck in a cycle of sinning. That's not his purpose for our life. Not, not, not in a cycle of sinning and then saying sorry to God and then repeating it in some, the same behavior and then saying sorry to God and then repeating this. That's not God's plan for the life of the Christian. Now, some are in that vicious cycle. Some believe that they, they sin, they, they, they've got themselves convinced that there's no victory over this sin, and so just periods of time where there's victory, they're, they're happy about, but that's not God's plan. Spiritual mourning, it, is going, it will break us of that cycle. It'll break us of that cycle, bringing us to a place where we grieve, we truly grieve over our sin. And, and, and we understand that it costs. Sin cost us something. Habitual sin, there's a cost to it. And, and, and we must make a decision on purpose that we are going to spiritually mourn to break this cycle. In, in spiritual mourning, it's a huge importance to the church. And just by way of introduction to this, we're, we're surrounded by a, a form of faith that there's no, it's no resemblance of spiritual or biblical Christianity. We need to be careful of this. Church today, if we're not careful, and it's not even just today, I think it's been, it's always been that way. The battle uh, has always been this way, but we see it so relevant today. It seems like Christians can just live however they choose to live in habitual sin. And they think God just winks at this. We've come to the place in Christianity where sin can be a normal practice. Habitual sin can be a normal practice in our life. And we think that God winks at it. We think that it's okay. True faith that unites a person to Jesus Christ it's often been replaced by simply agreeing with certain beliefs. For some, Christianity to them is, I believe in the beliefs of Christianity. And hear me, that's just trading one set of religious principles for another set of religious principles. Repentance in the Bible involves a change of direction. It's, it's often... It's often reduced to just admitting that I'm a sinner and asking and, 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 and just asking to be forgiven. I'm a sinner, so there's no repentance involved. And many Christians just continue, or many that say they're Christians, just continue to live a life of I'm sorry, forgive me, with no, no thought of even repentance. And that word repentance means turning away, turning away from sin. It's easy, it's so easy for people to admit being a sinner and accept Christ without ever pursuing holiness. And listen, hear me tonight. I believe one of the things that we're missing in Christianity today is the pursuit of holiness, holy living, righteous living. In order for us to live a righteous life of peace in a pure heart, we must hunger and thirst after righteousness. One cannot hunger and thirst after righteousness if they are involved in habitual, constant sin. 
Do you understand that tonight? Humility is what he's after. And then a, a mourning, a spiritual mourning. I found this quote. I've got a couple quotes I want to give to you this evening by some, some old Puritan writers. A form of faith that leaves a person essentially unchanged is not worthy to bear the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this again. A form of faith that leaves a person essentially unchanged is not worthy to bear the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith in Christ, your salvation, it changed you. What changed you is the Holy Spirit of God now dwells inside of you. The Bible says that you you have become a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That is a change that takes place in a Christian's life. Just simply picking up a new set of rules to live by doesn't necessarily mean a change has taken place in your life. A spiritual mourning, a spiritual mourning is what, as Christians, we need to be pursuing a a holiness about our living. And God calls us to a, a decisive change of behavior and direction. And this change of behavior and direction is in which a person, he gets his sin, he, 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 he uh, quits his sin, and he turns to the Lord. That's what repentance is, is a turning from sin. Turning from this sin and, to, and turning to the Lord. Look with me, if you would, in 2 Timothy. Turn there. I've got a few passages of Scripture that I want us to go to this evening so we can build on this thought. 2 Timothy Chapter number two, Paul is writing to Timothy. He's instructing him. This is his second epistle. Paul realizes he's not going to be around much longer. Men like Timothy and Titus are going to take this Christianity into this next generation. He says this to Timothy. He says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Okay, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ, what? Depart from, what's it say? Iniquity, sin. Underline that, mark that. Let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart or turn from sin. We are dead in trespasses and sin. The moment that we are saved, we are dead. We are in dead in trespasses and sin. That's the best we are. We're, we are separated from God. But when you're saved, there's a, a new life that's given to us. And the Bible says that, that let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart or turn from iniquity. Depart. This is foundational. If, we, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, our desire then ought to be you will depart from iniquity. You'll depart from sin. God's people repent. They turn from sin. I saw this quote, faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin and they belong inseparably together. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin and they belong inseparably together. This quote as well, we desperately need to rediscover the joy of biblical repentance and the blessings of spiritual mourning. 
We need to, we desperately need to rediscover the joy of biblical repentance and the blessings of spiritual mourning. And so I want to look at this definition, all this by way of introduction on spiritual mourning. The definition of spiritual mourning is this. It's a heartfelt sorrow over particular sins. It's a heartfelt sorrow over particular sins. Arising from humility and infused with hope that leads you to forsake these sins at the cross. Spiritual mourning is a heartfelt sorrow over particular sins arising from humility and infused with hope that leads you to forsake these sins at the cross. I want to give you six, six elements as we break down that definition of spiritual mourning here this evening. And we'll Use Like I said, we'll be at a different scriptures here, so if you can't turn to them, just write these scriptures down and go back and study these. But I want to give you six things, spiritual mourning. Spiritual mourning, number one, would you please write this down? Spiritual mourning relates to particular sins. According to the definition of spiritual mourning, this relates to particular sins. This is not just overall, Lord, forgive me of sin. If I sin today, forgive me. What, what spiritual mourning, when he's talking about blessed or happy are those that spiritually mourn, for they shall be comforted, the process of humility, spiritual mourning, that leads me to the place of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, then that leads me to a place of a pure heart in peace in my life, and that process must be followed. When we get to the place of spiritual mourning, this relates to particular sins. Hear me as I say this. Christ died for your particular sins. Yes, he died for the, war, the, the sin of mankind. But when, when we say that, sometimes it's just like a blanket statement. Like, he died for the sin of all mankind. Yes, he did. But every single sin that was ever committed, he bore that sin on the cross. Every sin, every single sin, the sin you committed, the date you committed it, and the name of that sin was taken by Christ, he became that sin and was the sacrifice for that particular sin. Of spiritual mourning is 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 it relates to particular sin. And, and hear me, we need to name that sin without excuses. So often, hear me, in the Christian life, for many Christians, if we're not careful, we have come to the place where we have made excuses for our particular sin. We've, we've justified it. We've come to the place where we think that, well, you know what? God's okay with this because he hasn't judged me yet, and, 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 and I haven't, like, hit rock bottom, and so, therefore, he must be okay with particular sin. No, he's not. He doesn't wink at your sin. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He paid a cruel death. He shed his blood for that particular sin. God is never okay or comfortable. You never get a pass. He doesn't say, well, you got it honestly from your family. It's in your DNA, so I'm going to let this one pass. No, he doesn't. There's never a sin, never habitual sin in our life that should ever be okay. But hear me, sometimes we make excuses for it. In the spiritual morning, we come to the place where we say, this 
is wrong, my heart attitude toward this habitual sin or this addictive sin or this sin that continues to repeat in my life, it is wrong. And God is not okay with it. Number two, write this down, if you would please, on spiritual mourning, the definition. This, This involves heartfelt sorrow. Heartfelt sorrow grows when you see the cost of sin. It's sad in churches today that Christians, a child of God, we can continue to live our lives without grieving our sin. Covering it up, thinking that it's okay. Sin is never okay. It's never right. In spiritual mourning that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter number 5, that mourning, blessed are they that mourn, it's blessed those, those that mourn, this spiritual mourning, and it involves a heartfelt sorrow. Heartfelt sorrow grows when you see its cost. Take a, take a long, heartfelt look at the cost that this sin is to you. This cost that this sin is to others and it is a Christ. And I want to look at, under this point, I want to just look at three things, the cost of your sin to yourself under that point. Where would you be by now if this sin would not have a hold on you? If this sin, this habitual sin that we should be spiritually mourning over, if it didn't have a hold on us, where would you be right now if it wasn't for this sin that's held you back? It's cost you something. This sin has uh, 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 limited your usefulness to Christ. We ought to have a, a, we ought to grieve over our sin. We ought to have a, a spiritual mourning over our sin because it limits, sin limits our effectiveness or our usefulness to Christ. Remember the Bible says that we were bought with a price. We're not our own. The moment that you are saved, there's a plan, a will that God has for your life, and sin keeps you from being what God wants you and desires for you to be, your usefulness to Christ. This sin, the cost to yourself, also, you know what it does? It, it, it um, dampens your worship. You can't effectively worship unless you've got a spiritual mourning over sin. Do you, ever, do, you ever, do, you ever, do you ever not treat your spouse right and try to read your Bible, try to worship? You know the old get, get in the fight on the way to church and put the smile on when you get to church? Do you ever try to worship when you're not right with God because you're not right with someone else? Try to worship when pride is filling you and jealousy is filling you and, 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 and sin is filling your life. It dampens your worship. It costs you something. You know what else it does? It dilutes your testimony. We ought to have a desire to hear one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant, But the cost of sin, it dilutes your testimony for Christ. When others see you, they ought to see Christ living through you. 
You know what the cost of it does? It keeps you at a distance from God. I think about that time in the Old Testament. Um, how many of you, you started your, uh, doing the yearly Bible reading? Anybody start that? We, uh, I, I, I do that, and it just gives me a, a good reason to say to my kids, where are you at in your Bible reading every day? You know? and, and so we, um, at night, we just kind of go through, and we read. And, and um, I'm reading through, we're reading through Genesis. And Genesis, what an exciting book. How often God talks to man. I think about that time in the garden, and I don't know if it was a day. I don't know if it was a week. The Bible doesn't tell us from the time of creation to the fall of man. I don't know what it was. But I know this, that God would come in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve would walk with God in fellowship and commune with God. Could you imagine every day God coming, anticipating that time? He's coming, listening for him. Whatever that looks like, and I read that passage of Scripture, I, I, I just imagine, what does that look like? What does walking through the Garden of Eden, Eden, fellowshipping with God, what does that even look like? Adam and Eve did it. And then they sinned. Yesterday, we walked in the coolness of the day. We walked with God. We fellowshiped with God. We walked through that garden. Whatever that is, imagine in your mind the significance and the greatness of that event. And the very next day, when God shows up to walk in the coolness of the day in that garden to fellowship with Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? And instead of them waiting and anticipating that event where they normally would be, waiting for God to show up so they could commune with him, they're hiding because of sin. Sin has a cost, and that cost, it keeps you at a distance from God. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth, died for our sins so that we could be redeemed or reconciled back to him. His Great pleasure is fellowshipping once again with mankind, and we can because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But what sin does, it keeps us at that distance. Sin affects you. There's a cost. Sin affects others. H hear me, and I know, I'm not even, I don't mean this to be, be funny at all, but very true. You know what sin does when you're involved in sin? You know what it does to others? It makes you harder to live with. You're impossible to live with when you're full of sin. You're more difficult to work with. You're, you're tough to love. You see, your sin is costing, costly to them because your sin makes you less. Think about that. The people that God has put in your life, you, your sin is cost to them because your sin makes you less. And that robs others of what they might have received from you. Just put yourself in that place. All of the leadership roles in your life, God has blessed me to be a husband. Sin, if if, if, if that habitual sin, that sin that keeps me, that costs me something, what it does is it, it, does, it makes me less and, and it robs Michelle, my wife, of what she might receive of me. The same thing with my children. 
those that God has placed in your life, your sin robs them of something. And so it costs you, it costs others. You know what else? More importantly than even that, there's a cost to Christ. Listen, Jesus didn't hang on the, on, the, on the cross for sins in general, but your sin in particular. As I said earlier, sins with names and dates and faces. That means Jesus suffered for the sin that we are habitually doing. That ought to cause us to a place where it causes us to mourn. Write this down, number three, spiritual mourning arises from humility. By following this pattern in, in, in Matthew chapter number five, first one being what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The, the, next, the next spiritual mourning is the next phase. It arises from humility. It starts with humility and then goes into, and from poor in spirit, goes back to the beginning. It, it makes us, it makes you move forward. I'm, I'm humble, I'm poor in spirit, and therefore it brings me to a place where I'm spiritually mourning over my sin. Number four, write this down, spiritual mourning, it's infused with hope. Now hear me today, this verse or this topic of spiritual mourning could leave us defeated, and that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. You're a sinner, you're lousy, you're no good. You can't do anything. You can't get victory, you try, stop trying. And Satan desires for you to live a defeated life where you can't be successful as a Christian. He wants you to come to the place where, you know what? You're not mourning their sin, there's habitual sin. You've tried and it's over. No, but spiritual mourning, it's infused with hope. Listen, destructive mourning locks you into hopelessness. And you'll never get over your behavior. It seizes you with remorse and defeat. There's an example of that. Mark down Matthew chapter number 27, and we won't go there, but go back and read this. Matthew chapter 27 in verses 3 through 3, 4, and 5 in that area, and you'll find the story of Judas. Judas, the Bible says, he grieved what he had done, but he didn't look to Christ for forgiveness. And many a times, if we're not careful, Christian, you can grieve. You could be upset with yourself and, and be, be grieved. You know, I can't believe that I, I keep going back to this sin. I can't believe that this sin has a hold on me. I can't believe I, I want to go. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not even going to try anymore because I confess it and I keep doing it. And that's exactly where Satan wants you to be, a place where you're grieving. But we can look to Christ because he gives us forgiveness. And that's where that hope comes in. Listen, the Holy Spirit never leads you to despair. Never. He'll lead you to mourn over your sin, but the mourning to which he leads is always infused with hope. There's hope. Listen, I don't care what you have done tonight. I don't care what habitual sin you say I've been involved in. And maybe, maybe Satan's got you to a place where you say I'm, I'm defeated and there's no way to get victory over this. I say this to you tonight, that the Holy Spirit of God always leads you where he infuses you with hope. There is hope. You say, how do you know that? Because there's the cross. There's Christ. You've got to look to him. Forgiveness. 
He forgives. Listen, no matter what you have done, he offers forgiveness. And that, my friend, gives us hope. Yes, we preach hard on sin. Yes, we preach that sin is wrong. Yes, sin keeps us from that that relationship with God that he desires to have. But hear me, you don't have to stay there. There is hope. Write this down, number five. Spiritual mourning happens at the cross. The cross helps us in spiritual mourning in a special way. Where do you see that? Romans 5, 8. Who knows what Romans 5, 8 is? But God commendeth his love toward us in that We were yet sinners. Christ, what? He died for us. Spiritual mourning happens at the cross. Seeing Christ's love for you and dying for that very sin that you're mourning will strengthen you. It will give you resolve to be done with this sin in your life. We must consider the cross. Realize this. Christ loved you. That specific sin that you've committed, that that hurtful, that wrong, that habitual sin, that that sin that maybe nobody knows about and maybe everyone knows about it, maybe, maybe a few people, whatever it may be, that sin that Satan has just beat you up over and caused you to feel like you're worthless as a Christian, you need to see Christ's love and he died for that specific sin. And he offers forgiveness. The cross shows you how much you're loved. And that love will be the most convicting part of all. Look with me in Galatians chapter 2. See, what I'm saying as you go there to Galatians chapter 2, Christian, when you see what Christ has done on the cross for you, what he went through, to pay that sin debt, that specific sin, that sin of, of, of lying, that sin of stealing, that sin of, of a sexual sin, whatever that, that wicked hold, that addiction, that sin that your Satan's convinced you that there, it's full of shame, it's full of guilt, and there's no way out. Look to the cross. Look with me in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's where the hope comes from. Christ lives in you. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a convicting verse. Why would I want to live in sin when I consider what Jesus Christ did in his love for me? The cross shows you how much you're loved. Write this down, number six, if you would, please. Spiritual mourning will lead you to forsake sin. Blessed are they that mourn. Spiritual mourning, true spiritual mourning will lead you to forsake sin. Repentance means forsaking. When you turn from your sin, it means you're forsaking that sin. If a sin has become habitual, if it becomes a pattern, it has an addiction for you, for you to spiritually mourn 
will be the key to breaking its compulsive power. Mourning, spiritually mourning, spiritually grieving, forsaking that sin, realizing the cross, realizing what Christ has done for you, realizing the debt he paid for that specific sin, realizing the love that he showed you on the cross, that specific sin should lead you to the place of spiritual mourning. The Savior came to the world. And how do we, how do we, how do we get through this? They, the Bible says this. Look at this. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. My time is coming to an end here. The Bible says this. Blessed are they that mourn. Happy are they that mourn. What comes from spiritual mourning? What comes from you seeing that sin, realizing that you as a child of God ought to be seeking a holy life, a life lived for Christ, recognizing what he did on the cross, recognizing that he paid that specific sin debt, recognizing that he loves you. It brings you to a place of spiritual mourning. And what does that do? The Bible says this, for they shall be comforted. You see, hear me. We don't come to the place where we say, all right, I'm a failure. All right, I'm lousy. All right, I'm no good. Christ, the Holy Spirit, as I said earlier, doesn't lead you to a place of despair. Repentance is turning from sin, and the blessing that comes from spiritual mourning is this. Look again. The Bible says, for they shall be what? Comforted. How many of you want to live a comforted life? How many of you have ever had anxiety or fear or you don't even know why. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you were anxious? I, um, I told Sunday night, I told you a story. My daughter, Chloe, was in Walmart, and um, a man came up to her and grabbed her and told her he was going to hurt her, and if he told, she told her mom, he would hurt her. And praise the Lord, before anything bad happened, Michelle called her name and and. I, I, I laid there that night. When I found that out, I laid there that night. And I'm telling you, this, this, this anger was all over me. My, two of my dogs, they sleep right next to my bed on a dog bed. And um, they're laying there sleeping. And I must have, while I was, while I was sleeping, I, I was thinking about doing really bad things to a guy. I figured out who this was. And I must have, in my, when I was contemplating all this, I was half asleep, I was anxious. I must have, I remember finding this person and, and punching this person. And, and so in, while I'm laying there in my bed, I punched him in my, in my dream and I punched my my hand, it was so loud, it woke the dogs up. And they're looking at me. Now they're anxious. Like, what just happened here, you know? And I'm laying there angry and anxious and troubled in my spirit. And I remember saying, Lord, I can't deal with this right now. 
I need you to handle this. Because I couldn't sleep. It was causing me anxiety. I'm thinking the worst. I'm, I'm, I'm letting my mind go to places it doesn't need to go. I'm saying to my wife, you're never going to take our kids out by yourself again. You don't know how to take care of them. You know, I'm saying stupid things. And I said, Lord, I just need peace. Have you ever been that's just one that's so fresh on my mind because it's so new? Have you ever been to a place in your life, whether it's work, family issue, finances, You've just said, I need peace. Like, I can't, this is causing me anxiety. The promise, the blessing that comes from this spiritual morning is comfort. And listen to me, I don't care who you are, there's times in your life that you seek comfort and you need it. And I would dare say that every single person in this room has been to that place in your life. And the blessing that comes from spiritual mourning is comfort. It's resting in him. The Savior came to this world to bring comfort. Listen, anxiety and stress and pain and suffering and anxiousness and fear, those are all the things that living a life without Christ or living a, a life as a Christian letting Satan just wreak havoc in your life. That's the emotions that you feel, but that is not what we as Christians ought to, ought to the life we ought to live. Go to Isaiah with me. I'm hurrying here. Isaiah chapter number 61. Isaiah chapter number 61, verses two and three. This is what the Lord came to do. This is the blessing that God gives you through his son to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that what? Mourn. You know what the prophecy of our Savior would be? To, 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 to comfort all they that mourn, to point unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Here's how Christ did it. Go over a few pages back, uh, Isaiah 53. How did he accomplish this? What, how does he do this in our life? Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesies of this. He says in verse number four, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was what? Wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, our sin. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are what? Healed. He comforts. The Savior came to this world to comfort. He did it by taking all of your sin on him. 
We don't have to bear the shame of sin. We don't have to bear the guilt of sin. We don't have to continue to have this habitual sin, addictive uh, nature in, in constantly, Lord, I'm sorry. All right, I'm back at it. Lord, I'm sorry again. I'm back at it. No, we have victory because of what Christ did. He gave us victory on the cross. He forgave every one of those that sin, those particular sins that we committed. I read this quote, the Holy Spirit brings comfort to the person who mourns. He brings comfort to the person who mourns their sin by taking what Jesus accomplished on the cross and making it ours. He accomplished victory. And the Holy Spirit of God makes that ours. Turn turn with me to 1 Corinthians, if you would. You with me still? How many of you are awake? Say amen. How many of you are asleep? Say oh me. All right. We're coming around home here. We're coming around third. Home, we'd be in the dugout, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. This is what we were. 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 9. The Bible says this. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's what you were. And such were some of you. (laughs) That right there sounds hopeless. You were those things, but you are now this. Look with me in verse number 11. Ye are washed, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are what? Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord. A new life has begun in me because of the cross. I was this. I was that list of just rotten things, sinfulness, but I am new because of Jesus Christ. Spiritual mourning starts with humility. Second is spiritual mourning. When I come to this place where I'm grieved over sin, it causes me to forsake it, repent of it, forsake it, live under the power of the Holy Spirit of of God in my life, I'm a new life. I'm a new being. being. What it does is it takes me to the next step of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. How many of you want to live in peace? How many of you want to live guilt-free with a pure heart? I do. It only comes when one hungers and thirsts after righteousness. How many of you want to hunger and thirst after righteousness? It starts with humility. Humility then flows into spiritual mourning. I'm not living this way anymore because I'm a new creature in Christ. I don't have to live under the bondage of sin. Jesus Christ has broken that bondage of sin. And then our next study, then the step three, on our path to hungering and thirsting is meekness. All right? Father, help us, I pray, as we